Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. Wow, really is cool to be able to do this. Prayer's been a passion on my heart for a really long time. Um, Jason asked me just to mention a couple of things before we get started. And um, one thing in particular, I don't know how many of you folks know about this, but we've been working to organize a prayer walk here in Uniontown to take place next Saturday uh, from 8 to 10. Don't let that intimidate you to think that you might be out there for two hours, because the way it's set up, uh, I don't know if you saw that Pittsburgh during the summer had a prayer event uh, at Heinz Field, I think it was. Um, but what they wanted to do was launch prayer walking as a part of that. And what I was sharing with them, because I've got friends who are, or, or helped organize that in Pittsburgh, um, the clergy group, uh, there's a pastor's group that meets once a month on Wednesday mornings, third Wednesday in the month. We really felt that God wanted us to do that as well, too. Oops, let me move my snacks out of your way. Um, so that's going to happen, and the way it's going to work, we're, uh, the police chief was great. He gave us five maps that divided up probably what are what the patrol areas for the area. We're going to meet at City Hall at 8 o'clock, uh, and then we have uh, different churches who are hosting a quadrant one of those five quadrants, then we're going to, we'll introduce what's going on. We're going to ask people to go back to that particular quadrant. Either it's because your church is there or you live in that community. And then you pray together as a group. We uh, put together a prayer guide uh, to help you understand what you could do. It's based upon Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3. Really good prayer points. It's what Jesus said he came to do. Uh, so people will go back to that section. You, you walk, basically, uh, and pray as the Lord leads you. When you're done, you're done. That could be 10 o'clock. That could be earlier. But one of the things we really believe, the reason why we're doing this, is uh, one of the things I've been hearing and seeing and sensing is God is getting ready to reopen Wells of Revival in Western PA. And there were a lot of prophetic words that came out in late 90s, early 2000s, including the Brownsville revival, that when revival breaks out in the U.S., it's going to start in western Pennsylvania. And so we are a key place. And a part of what I'm going to be sharing with you today relates to maybe a way that God might cause you to be engaged uh, in doing this work of prayer. So um, my desire is to give you some tools that might point you for ways that God can work through you to do this work of prayer. And it fits in with something that Dutch Sheets has talked about at different times. Um, he mentions that intercession is kind of a, a two-directional thing. Uh, in 1 Peter, it talks about how we're uh, both kings and priests. Now, when we do priestly prayer, we're praying on behalf of people toward heaven. But when we exercise that kingly authority, like it talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, it's from heaven to earth, where we're not presuming to speak for God, but as the Holy Spirit gives us insight and revelation for what to pray, then we pray in that authority. 
Uh, you know, we're told to stand firm in the strength of God's power or his mighty power or his uh, reign. So what we're going to look at in this time, uh, I do kind of an inductive style of teaching, which means at times I'll stop and I'll ask for your input on stuff. So if you have a Bible app or a Bible with you, I'd say open up to the book of Nehemiah because we're going to do some looking in there. And what I'm hoping is through the outline, even if we don't cover everything that what we're doing is I'm hoping that you'll realize that you can continue to study in Nehemiah on your own as a devotional. Uh, this was some things that God was showing me um, just through some of my own devotions and studies. And one of the things I've learned through the years is I'm keeping my eyes open for how other people pray in the Bible because that teaches me. I just want to, as a side thought, I want to mention too that there's a really great book that's out. I forget the guy's name, um, but it says Praying the Prayers of the Apostle Paul. Really powerful book because he takes all of Paul's prayers and then at the end of each chapter, he shows you how you can apply that prayer for yourself, for your family, for your community. And uh, if you think of it not as for repetition, but as a template or as an outline for how you can adapt it. Uh, Mike Holt was even referring to the two prayers that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through, uh, it's really about verse 21, and then in chapter 3, starting in verse 14 through 19. And I remember I have a stepdaughter and um, really hard things that she was going through in adjustment, especially because my wife and I got married when she was an adolescent, and that was a real hard time in her life. And um, you can only say so many things. So what God put on my heart to do is start praying soaking prayers for her by praying the, uh, some of those things that are in those prayers. So what we're going to take a look at is Nehemiah as someone who can teach us how the Lord had him accomplish the work of the kingdom of God through a process of spiritual warfare. Uh, I just want to check in with anybody to see if you have any questions before Go on. I know we're just getting started, but I uh, don't want to present. Um, now, my hope through this time is that it gives you another biblical model of how you can pray uh, by using this example of God's servant. And I would, I would gather to say when Nehemiah first sensed God stirring up his heart, probably the last thing he thought was that God was going to be using him in the way he did. Think of the job he had. He was the king's cupbearer. You know, it was a value and, uh, and a prized uh, position uh, because he was sort of the first line of defense for the king. He tasted the food. If it was poison, guess who died first? Him. So the king would usually put a lot of trust in what happened in this person. Now, I'm going to try to be um, grounded in Scripture and what we're doing and what that means is if I say something, if it, you wrestle with it, you trouble with it, I expect you to test it. We are to test what people says. Uh, in uh, 1 John, it talks about that. But what we're going to do is look at how God used Nehemiah to accomplish his purposes and advance his kingdom. So we're going to take a kind of a cursory look at several passages that are in the book of Nehemiah. And again, just to mention some context and background for this, because it's important. 
Uh, in particular, if you read Jeremiah 29 and Daniel 9 and even Zechariah 1, it comes out that the 70-year exile for the people of Israel in Babylon has come to an end. And to use Daniel's own testimony, he writes this in chapter 9, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, Darius, son of Xerxes, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, one of the things that really stood out to me as I was studying about Nehemiah, think about that. Daniel, Jeremiah, Zechariah, all were doing a work of prayer that made it possible for Nehemiah to do his work for the kingdom of the Lord. And that encourages me so much because since I've been here in this region, God has blessed me with so many people who have a hunger and thirst for God. And they've all had a different role. Uh, when I arrived here a little over a year ago, God put it on my heart to go talk to a pastor that I hadn't seen for 13 years. And I'm going, what's this about, Lord? And when I got together, I shared with them some of what God was stirring in my heart. And he was going, yes, that's what God's been saying to me. But you see, if he hadn't been praying, he might have said, nice, move on. But he didn't. So don't ever underestimate your particular role. It doesn't have to be big and flashy. You don't need to have a Bible degree. We just have to be available. And that's what Nehemiah did, and we're going to see. Here's something else Nehemiah said in verses 16 through 19. He said, O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, excuse me, um, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to those all around us. Now, and, and the prayer continues to go on. But think about that. Daniel is interceding based upon the promises of God. And that's a lot of what we do. And that's what we're going to see that Nehemiah was doing as well, too. He believed that God's covenant with the people of Israel even though they were in a time of judgment and chastisement, he believed that God's promises and covenant still stood. And so Daniel is praying this uh, prayer to God that I, I can't help but believe that it leads um, to uh, something important uh, for what God started stirring in Nehemiah's heart uh, when these guys showed up. And so there's four aspects of what we're going to be looking at um, in this process for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that were a part of work of, that God was doing. But one of the things we need to realize is that Nehemiah's role was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in the face of incredible opposition. While that appeared to be earthly warfare, like Ephesians tells us, that our battle is not really against flesh and blood. It's against this hierarchy of the kingdom of darkness that we have been given authority to do something about. Now think about this. What Nehemiah and Daniel did, people say, well, that was the old covenant. But do you realize that God acted? God granted them authority and power. 
And these were people um, that normally would come from humble means uh, that God is the one who raised them up to do these things. So uh, one of the things I want us to realize as we, we study this is most of what we are going to see taking place, sometimes it looks like it just shows up, but there is a background for all these people of God. Their background is that they were people who sought after God and God used them. So I want to encourage you in that, uh, that respect. If you, as uh, King David wrote in Psalm 63, if you hunger and thirst for God, you got to read that psalm. It's powerful. It really fits in with some things that Mike was saying about looking up uh, as well. If you have a hunger and thirst, God can use us and he will use us. So I want you to encourage that. But um, we need to remember that what Nehemiah is doing is not starting in a vacuum. It comes out of who knows how many years of him serving the king for the right time. Uh, how many of you folks have heard the word kairos before? Okay, some of you. It's a Greek word. Uh, there are two particular words that are primarily used for time. One is chronos, and the other one is kairos. Chronos is where we get the word chronology. It relates to journals. It's measured time. Kairos has to do with the ripeness of time. Uh, for instance, uh, with farmers in the area, um, they plant in chronos, but they wait for kairos before they harvest. They decide when things are ripe. And as I remember one person saying, you don't help a flower grow by pulling on it. You know, you have to wait for it to get ripe. If you try to pull on it, that's called weeding. But when you wait for God's timing on things, remarkable things take place. And so what we're looking at is a kairos moment where God speaks into the moment to Nehemiah and he lets him know that God has a purpose for him that Nehemiah is then challenged what to do. So um, just remember, uh, here's, here's a part of what uh, Nehemiah, uh, where this Kairos moment comes in. It's in chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. It says this, um, These people who came from back from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon, they said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, and this is what really got me, he said, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, in particular, that last sentence is an amazing thing to think about of what we do when we start to sense that God is nudging us about some particular burden. Uh, how many of you can try? Yes, sir. What version was that? Uh, that uh, probably, it could be the English Standard Version. It might be. Um, I'll, I'll say that's my favorite flavor right now. Uh, as far as the Bible version, I've, uh, I like New American Standard. I've used New International, English Standard. Um, uh, I won't go into reasons why I prefer it right now, but uh, there's, uh, it, sometimes you have to read two or three. Um, but one of the first things he did is, um, how many times have you been somewhere where you just started to grieve about something? Any folks? And you, you may not know why. 
he gives us a really good idea for where we should start. Sit down and say, God, what is going on here? Uh, because God may want to be using us for something uh, to begin preparing in prayer, and we don't know if it'll have a connection to what we're immediately doing. Uh, that happens to me at different times when I'm driving through uh, different places of the U.S. or even different parts of Uniontown. God starts stirring something in my heart, and I have to you know, stop and ask God what he wants me to do with that. But he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And what that means is that he was humbling himself before God. And if you think of what the idea of fasting is, oh, please, come on in. It's a type of self-emptying. On the one hand, and I got to tell you, I'm half Italian, half Irish. I love food. So if God stirs me to fast, it's got to be for something really important. Um, but one of the things I do notice is it, you know, different things happen, like God saying um, to me, uh, how much are you going to empty yourself to be prepared for what you want to be, I want to fill you with? He also at times will challenge me to say, is um, food more important than me or, is, or am I more important than food? That's some of my personal issues when I find I'm, you know, I'm called to fast. But that's where Nehemiah began. And he probably prayed, according to the commentaries I read, for about four months. Think about that. Now, we don't know what kind of fasting he did. Uh, there's uh, some different books on fasting that are really helpful. One is called God's Chosen Fast. Bill Bright from Campus Crusade for Christ wrote a book on fasting as well that has some helpful thoughts. But it can be um, different ways we do it. It can be partial. It can be full. It can be... Um, being uh, doing only liquids and things like that. But what we're going to start with is by looking at Nehemiah's preparation. We're breaking this down uh, into four parts. I'm going to try to slow down in how I talk, but because we're limited in time, I want to make sure I give you the opportunity to see some of this stuff. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, what we're going to do is uh, have some people read these verses, and then we're going to take a look to see uh, what... God did to prepare Nehemiah. Who'd like to read verse 4 in chapter 1? Anybody? Please. Verse 4, chapter 1. Yes. Uh, this is the New King James Version. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Okay. What are some things that you notice that Nehemiah did? Yeah, he sat down. He wept. If you think about that, there, something touched him inside. Um, and there's a difference between emotionalism and being emotive. And sometimes God will work in people's hearts to grieve or to have tears. What are some other things you notice? Uh, what else will say that? Some people call it the burden of the Lord. Yeah. God will open your heart and give you uh, a discernment to know what he's grieved for. Right. Also understand about fasting, not to go off subject, but still we keep it there. A lot of times when you see I see people fast, fasting also was used by prophets, David, right. many of people to overturn a situation. Mm -hmm. So and then there's a fasting to cleanse yourself and to get different, you know, yeah. but 
God set that on a burden for him, just like almost uh, with the one that got swallowed by the fish. Uh, Jonah. Jonah. Uh, because God wanted to situate, you know, he wants things overturned. And sometimes if he doesn't touch our heart, we won't. You know what I mean? But yeah. he was obedient. It's often, that's what I see. He was obedient to things. Yeah. So that he could overturn the situations. A lot of times it's not about whether we think they deserve it or not. Yeah. But to actually move in obedience to that fasting for the situation that was song that he would be prepared to go to the next. Right, right, right. There's a lot of good things that fat prayer and fasting does. One thing it does not do, it's not meant to manipulate God, and it doesn't. But what it does is I've seen too, and in this situation, you know, a lot of purposes fasting use, it aligns us with the heart of God. A friend of mine in Pittsburgh has written a book called Culture of the Few, and he gave one of the best definitions I heard on prayer. He said, intercessory prayer is seeking the heart of God, then praying in agreement. And I loved it because it was just so simple and it really turns it. So we see Nehemiah seeking the heart of God because Nehemiah has realized he doesn't want to know Nehemiah's will for, for, for the people of Israel. He wants to know God's will. So that's one of the first things uh, to think about. If you start feeling a burden or maybe if you feel no burden at all and you're going, God, is there something you have for me? Maybe enter into a time of prayer or fasting. Uh, but be sure that if you do fasting with prayer, that it's the kind of fast that God gives you. Uh, sometimes it might be fasting of TV, might be fasting of sweets. It might be uh, doing a Daniel fast where you give up uh, proteins and just do vegetables. They're all different kinds. But just say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to know your heart. So um, any other thoughts or comments before we move on to the next verse? Because we're going to take a look to see how Nehemiah let God prepare him for this. Who'd like to read verse 5? Please. Thank you. Okay. Now, what are some of the things that you notice that uh, uh, Nehemiah is doing there? And that is hard when we enter rough times because the temptation is to say the times dictate what I think about God rather than holding to the truth of Scripture that God is good, that He is holy. And we have to adjust our feelings to the facts. And that's why the prayer and fasting can help with that because what we do is we say, Lord, I'm struggling right now. You can see David doing that in the Psalms, but look how he resolves most of those Psalms. He is allowing God the opportunity to speak into what he's wrestling with. Anything else you notice? There it is again, obey, obedience. Yeah. He reminds God that he keeps his covenant. Yeah. So again, part of that character, the call to obedience the call that our God has got a covenant. In other words, when God gives his word, he keeps his word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That quote, the last part of that verse, actually comes from Exodus chapter 20. 
Um, keep steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Look through Exodus 20, right smack in the middle. It said that God will show um, love and mercy to those who love him and obey his commandments for generations. Jesus repeats the same thing in the Gospel of John. So Nehemiah is doing two things. He's affirming God's love for him, and he's resting in that, while he's also reaffirming his love for God by his desire to walk in obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So part of our time of preparation might be that God calls us into a time of getting right with him. There's a guy by the name of R.A. Torrey um, that was a famous evangelist and revivalist that worked with Dwight L. Moody uh, back in the late 1800s and then was doing his own stuff. And he put down three essentials for revival. One was evangelism. The second one was uh, praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And the third one, he said, was when a small group of people get together and they get thoroughly right with God and humble themselves, and they pray until God pours out a spirit. And so what we see Nehemiah doing is he's positioning himself to say, Lord, um, did I stray as well too? Which is a very humble thing to let God examine us. And it's important, and it's not for condemnation or shame. It's just simply to say, like, uh, for instance, if one of your tires gets out of alignment on the car, you can tell by the way it drives. And the worse the alignment, the worse your car drives. And so it's getting things in alignment for God to take us out, so to speak. Let's go to uh, any other comments or questions. Please. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a template. It's a, something that we can do to model after. And worship is a great place to begin. But worship is exalting God, uh, even at times if it's confession by beginning, because we're really declaring His holiness before the Lord. That's good. Thank you. Um, anyone like to read verses six and seven? Please. Okay, what are some of the things you noticed that he did in the way he prayed? Pardon? Yeah. Yeah, did you notice? He didn't say they have. He said we, I. There's a term for this that's called identificational repentance. And it's where at times God puts on your heart to so closely identify with your people and the people you're with that it becomes we, not they. And you're representing them. You can see an example of this when Moses uh, prayed on behalf of the people of Israel. Uh, I got to tell you, um, you know, it, it, it kind of uh, the people of Israel, Moses leading them through the wilderness, kind of reminded me of when I did junior high ministry. Uh, you drive a van, and the whole time they're going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you're, you know, you just feel like, Lord, can I just 
pull the van over to the side and let him out. Um, and how many times do you think Moses wanted to do that with the people of Israel? And God gave him the chance to say yes. He said, I'll wipe them all out and I'll start all over with you. But what did Moses do? He said, Lord, don't do that because your name will be dishonored. And I really think that God was testing Moses to say, is your heart like mine? And so at times, God's going to give us that opportunity to feel with the people. Uh, just think as you drive through um, um, right here in Uniontown, a statistic I found out about six or seven months ago that shocked me, that Uniontown has the second highest percentage of violence against youth in the whole state. That, and I think it's more, it's a higher percentage than what's going on in Pittsburgh. I think Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, is number one. There is a need for prayer. There's a need to identify with that. This morning, God, uh, I don't think I have the right to share it right now, was putting a grief on my heart as we were starting in worship for Uniontown. And I just stopped and I, I wanted to pray for it. I was afraid I was going to quench uh, possibly or grieve the spirit by not grieving with what God was putting on my heart. Now, he may not use all of us the same way, but he might. And so when we are willing to identify and say we rather than they, uh, that's where we're aligning our heart with the heart of God. And so he personally confesses, then identify uh, I, what's called identificational confession, so he doesn't place himself above or outside of the people he's praying for, but he comes in his love and God's love for them. So again, that's that identity. Okay, uh, verses 8 through 10. Anybody like to do that? Please, thank you. Okay. Again, what are some of the things you notice there? Give them a way out. Okay. Merciful. He's calling on God's mercy. And again, like what we saw earlier, he reminded God of his promises. You know, there were blessings and curses that were mentioned about what God would do if people were unfaithful, but it was always granted in God's desire to restore. Remember the second thing that Mike taught about while Satan is for our destruction, God is for our restoration. And so we see him reminding God of these things. One thing uh, I'm going to mention, we're going to primarily focus on the preparation um, because I believe that is the key part. If we really align ourselves with God's heart by seeking his heart and listening, I believe some of these other things will make more sense because it was from this preparation that Nehemiah got his marching orders from God for what to do. Okay? So um, as you think about this, um, one of the things that Nehemiah is now moving to do 
is he's trying not just simply to know the truth of God, but he's now trying to walk in the truth. Now, you may say, well, that seems obvious, but let me ask you this. Um, would you say all drivers know what a stop sign means? Well, they may be able to read the letters, but how many people do you see actually stop at stop signs? Got to tell you, in Los Angeles, that's dangerous. You actually have people, one guy will stop, and then the car behind him follows them through the stop sign without stopping. Now, um, there's all kinds of interpretations of what a stop sign means, but try explaining that if a cop pulls you over. Okay. Nehemiah is now working to walk in the truth of God instead of just simply saying, I know it. So our obedience, again, is an important part. Okay, now here is where things get a little bit more uh, clearer that wouldn't have happened without this preparation Nehemiah did. Who would like to read um, verse 11? Okay. Okay, so uh, again, now that he prays, what are some of the things you notice about his prayer? Right. See how long it took him to get to this point. Uh, and again, that's a part of the kairos, is that we're waiting and listening upon the Lord for him to show us. And as you think about our community, uh, I don't know if the Lord's getting ready to call some of you into a season of prayer. There have been a bunch of us, um, let's see, in August of 2021, talked to this pastor. We started to form a prayer group, and we've been praying for this region. Uh, and as we've been praying, a group of intercessors from this one church and I, and then we started up a Zoom call that meets once every two weeks just to continue praying for this. We've been seeing how God has been opening up doors, but it might be weeks. Sometimes there's something very quick, and sometimes it might be weeks. So be, what I'm saying is, be patient with God. Uh, and as it says in Galatians 5, try to stay in step with how the Spirit is leading you to do these things. Um, sometimes you may sense that God is opening up something right away, and sometimes He might be saying, stop sign. I don't want you trying to roll through it, okay? We need to come to a full stop until God gives us that permission to go through. Yeah, yeah, and it go, fits in again with what Mike was teaching about submission. Um, you know, that submission is the opposite of pride. Um, the uh, Too many rabbit trails coming to my mind, I have to keep quiet. But think about the ripeness of the time of what God is showing. And I really believe what we're going to be doing next week uh, for this prayer walk is a part of the ripeness of time that God is doing something. Um, I don't know how much you know about the history of revival that has happened in Winsert, PA, but it is amazing. The number of people that God has sent into this region, uh, the, even going back into the 1600s, and I believe with William Penn, with what God was doing with William Penn, um, and then moving forward, 
uh, it's just an amazing history of what God is doing. And the enemy has been fighting back to try to quench into, uh, like enemies would often do in the Mideast, when they attacked uh, a place, uh, one of the first things they did is they would put all kinds of debris and poisonous or dead materials in wells and then pour stones in it to try to pollute the water. And God's in a uh, season right now with us of removing that, uh, those, um, all that debris because God is doing something ripe here that he's getting us ready for. So um, one of the things, because of time, uh, that's that awful thing that we are limited by sometimes, um, is we're going to just take a look at some of these points. And the prayer that Nehemiah prayed set things up for Nehemiah to be able to go to the king. And you know what? Nehemiah didn't even have to ask the king initially. One of the things it shows, we're looking at Nehemiah's authority at the bottom of the page. And I want to point this out, is that he walked in two different types of authority that he had to respect. One was earthly authority of the jurisdictions that God grants to human beings. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, I don't know if you know this, when it says principalities, authorities, powers, and forces of darkness, those were actually governmental hierarchies of the time from top to bottom. So it shows that there is an authoritative structure that the kingdom of darkness operates from. But you know where they got that structure? They stole it from God. And God's in the process of restoring those structures back to his people. And that's what we see here where God gives Nehemiah authority. And by giving him authority, it touches the king of that time so that he has the authority of the king. And he brings earthly authority together to work with um, heavenly authority. Uh, in particular, what is going on? I'm going to read this to you. Um, then, uh, verse 4 of chapter 2, and I'm just going to refer to this. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And you know how, where that question came from? The king noticed that Nehemiah was sad. Now think about that. The king of this region notices that one of his servants is sad. Now that's pretty amazing itself. It could speak of the nature of his relationship with Nehemiah, but I believe it really speaks to the fact that the king was moved by God to care about it, and then says, what's wrong? Think of the prayer that went in that prepared the way for the king to ask that question. It was like when Esther entered in without the king's invitation, and then the king gave it to her. That had to be God that was praying. But do you remember what Esther did before she entered in? She said to Mordecai, what? Get everybody yeah, she said, get them praying and fasting. Because I'm going into the king, and if I perish, I perish. But through the prayer and fasting, please, we need to wrap up? Okay, thanks, thanks. Okay, um, so look at this. And now why this is important is it's something that I've learned over the years. There's a Greek word that's called metron, where we get our word for meter that means measure. Now why that's important is because God... Um, assigns us different metrons or measures of faith. That's what it says in Romans chapter 12. So when we exercise our gifts, 
Don't compare yourself to someone else because the measure of their faith may correspond to a different level than what yours is. It doesn't mean God can't increase it, but we need to know the boundaries of what God has given us. And if you read through uh, Nehemiah 2, you will see the boundaries of what God gave him, which said, ask what you want. And at that time, he had all those kingdoms of that area. But one way to understand your metrons, uh, a good example would be if you own a home, how many of you know the boundaries of your property? That's your metron. That's a good place to start. It's the metron for your family. Uh, what about where you work? Do you know who works for you or worth with you or you work under? Where you are a supervisor, that's the metron that God has given you that you have some spiritual authority to pray and influence where you work or praying for your schools. You know, so think about that. Uh, third thing, um, and this is where you can go through part three and part four on your own. But what Nehemiah did that was really key, and you can see this in chapter two, um, there's a temptation when we pray to do ready, aim, I mean, fire, aim. And sometimes we need to step back and go ready, aim, and fire. For those who are hunters, you know the difference. But stop and think about this. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, God put it on his heart to assess the obstacles of what he was going to be dealing with. And then, here's the last thing that you're going to face. And again, these are things that you can read and see. But we need to realize that prayer ministry can become a tug-of-war. The enemy uh, will come up and say, oh, no, you can't, or no, you won't. And in Christ, we have to stand firm and, and say, kind of like Micah Parsons, uh, he's a linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. He was undrafted by them, but now he's their starter. And he said that there are three phrases he uses that keep him going. I can, I will, and I must. And that's sometimes what we have to say in Jesus Christ as well. I'm going to stop. There's not much left, only a couple of minutes, but I apologize for blasting you with so much. Uh, any, any questions that I'll try to answer with what we have left? It's kind of like I turned on the fire hose and asked you to open your mouth. <laughs> Sorry. Could you uh, go back to that first point? Again, I forgot to write down. Uh, just a second ago, it was one, two, three, four. Okay. Uh, number th before you met him, Yeah. Uh, it's understanding what authority or boundaries God has given us to pray. It might be that he's given you the boundary of your neighborhood. It might be the boundaries that are right around the church where you worship, the, you know, the meters. Um, it relates to a geographic area. Or it might be that God starts burdening you to pray for the business district here or to pray for the police officers. You know, so ask God. There's a book by Tommy Femright. She's the founder of Gatekeepers International, Apostolic Intercessors International. She wrote a book called Invading the Seven Mountains with Intercession. And she talks about how God can help you identify whether he's called you to pray for family, for churches, for the government, uh, for business, for education, um, arts and entertainment, uh, uh, 
uh, or media. And different ones of us might be assigned to one of those different areas to pray for God to transform them. So, uh, any other questions? I'm trying to make sure I'm good. <laughs> if not, I apologize for um, not being able to get through it all. There is good stuff here that I think if you study Nehemiah on your own, it'll give you an idea of what God can do with this. Let me just speak a word of blessing on you. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you that you have such great and wondrous things for each one of us. And it's not our abilities, it's our availability to you. So Lord, I speak your blessing upon my brothers and sisters that for the times and seasons and purposes of what you are doing here in Western PA and Uniontown, open up our hearts to see and to hear what is on your heart for each one of us. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.